Well, welcome everyone. My name is Debbie. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. It's good to be with you tonight. Kids, you are dismissed. You can go with Megan and Anne. They're right over there. Thanks for being with us. Well, we have been in this uh, series that we are calling Greater Than. It's out of Doug Paget's book called Outdoing Jesus, where he takes a look at the seven miracles in the book of John. And it's based out of, his book is based out of John 14, 12. And it says this, I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. You know, I was preparing last week. I had read the book when it first came out, and I was restudying it a little bit, and I was caught actually by one of the things that a reviewer had said on the back of the book. And this is what he said. Paget masterfully portrays how everyday people are fulfilling Christ's audacious call to exceed his work on earth, inspiring us all to courageously embody our own capacity as miracle workers. I read it, I read it again and again because I needed to hear that. I needed the message that we're gonna hear tonight. Because for me, um, last week was just a hard week. I found myself in this place, like I often say, the and both place of feeling some great encouragement and hope for what's going on in our world and feeling really discouraged, like discouraged is not a strong enough word. So last Wednesday night, along with a group of people, I got a chance to go hear Jim Wallace and Peggy Flanagan down at Hennepin Avenue Methodist, United Methodist Church. It was awesome. Um, for those of you who don't know Jim Wallace, he's a pastor, a theologian, a political activist, um, the founder and editor of Sojourners Magazine. And um, he spoke alongside Peggy Flanagan, who's our lieutenant governor. And unbeknownst to us before we got there, they, they have a relationship that's really close, and that was cool to hear about. But what was so encouraging was to hear um, that there is some hope. There's some hope in this faith community that we are a part of that um, we could be peacemakers, that we could be people that try to find a common ground together, that we are called to love our enemies, a lot of those reminders, things we've all heard that we know. But on the other hand, you know, as Jim spoke, and I resonated with a lot of what he said, you know, we are Christ followers, you guys. We have to be political. That's one of our values, not partisan. And our politics are determined by the things that Jesus stood for, the people that he stood by. And as Jim Wallace started to talk about some of the policies of an administration that does dehumanize people, that actually targets the marginalized, I became more and more discouraged as the evening went on. And now the next night then, I was at the Young Life Banquet, and it was so encouraging to hear the stories, generational stories of people who have poured into and loved and seen God and people that were lost, that had hard lives, 
and to see the impact that God had had on lives and then the impact those people had had on lives and then those people. I mean, story after story after story. It was so encouraging. But of course, I was driving home and while we were at the Young Life Banquet, the Trump rally was going on and I couldn't help myself but turn on the radio for a little bit and watch a few news clips and to have some of that rhetoric sink into my soul, um, the pointing to other, the dehumanization of other, and to see the families in the background cheering on, it was um, really, really heavy and hard to hold. And so I needed this text that we're going to look at tonight because this is the truth of the Jesus we follow. This is how Jesus calls us to make a difference in the world. So we've been in the miracles. I said that so far. We've looked at Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. We looked at the official, the royal official who came to Jesus, had a dying son and asked for help. And Jesus healed that son. And last week, Matt talked about the pool at Bethesda and the man who had been sick for 38 years. And Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. And he did. Well, tonight... We are looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000. And for anyone who grew up in the church, that's a familiar story. That's a big story. Many of us know that story, but I think there's a lot more to that story. Like so many of the stories in Scripture that we often don't talk about. This feeding on the hillside of, a thousand, of thousands of people. So the context for the passage is, it actually starts out with, after this, and because they had seen miraculous signs among the sick. And what's important about that is that it shows us that this story that we're going to talk about tonight is built on all the other stories. That they're all connected. And there's a beauty in that. That these aren't just independent miracle stories. But they're connected in a way that together they show us this new humanity that Jesus had brought. So here we are, and it's almost time for the Jewish festival, the Passover. Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee, and the crowds had followed him. They followed him because we just heard they either witnessed or heard about all the miracles, all the healings that he had been doing. So we're in John 6, and we're going to start out in verse 5. We'll go through 15. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, I would take more, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. 
So they gathered them, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is, who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is a provision story. A provision story that's deeply connected to the broader Hebrew story. And this story, it reflects the Hebrew people's most famous provision story, and that is the story of manna from heaven. And we all remember that Exodus story, right, where Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he led them to the promised land. And that journey through the wilderness took 40 years, and it was a hard journey, and they were hungry, and there was a time when they called out to God, and God answered God provided making bread rain down from the heavens. But there's another part of this story that's not unlike the text we're in, and that's that there was another ask of the people. They were called to leave behind the practices, the mindsets of being slaves. And they were called to become free people in the promised land. And like all things, change is hard. And when the people in the Exodus story, like the people in our text today, when they said, there's not enough, God answered. And he provided, and he said, you know what? There is enough. Actually, there is more than enough. So here we are back in our story, and there's the crowd, and just... By the way, it's more than 5,000 because they only count the men. And there's women and children and there's thousands of people on that hillside. And it's interesting to note that this is the only crowd miracle in the book of John. The others involve a single beneficiary with just a small handful of people even knowing what was going on at the time. But this is different. And Jesus looks out at that crowd and he asked Philip why Philip we don't know some of the commentators thought perhaps he lived nearby but he asked Philip where will we buy the food to feed these people and I think it's interesting that he asked I mean the text tells us that he already knew what he was going to do but he was testing Philip and I think what's important for us to look at how he was asking the question, do you think he was testing him in a way that he was tripping him up or wanting him to fail or say, hey, you missed it? Or instead, instead, was he trying to open Philip's mind to thinking in a new way, in a bigger way? Instead of thinking of the crowd as a problem, perhaps he was inviting Philip to see it as part of the solution. So Philip's answer, I think, is not unlike what any of ours would be. And I think, hang on here, I'm losing my headset. We don't have near enough resources to feed all these people. And this is the kind of thinking that Jesus was trying to change. 
And ultimately, this lesson on abundance is a story of seeing that there is enough among the people already. It reminds me a little bit of looking at our hunger problem in our world, because a lot of people go hungry, but the problem isn't food production. It's food distribution. I was thinking about that when I was reading this story. But then here comes a young boy, and it's the only miracle in John where Jesus uses another person in a miraculous sign, where he actually uses the action of another person. And this boy had enough. Actually, he had more than enough, because if you knew the culture of ancient times, what he was carrying with him, two fish and, a, and five loaves of bread, is far more than anyone would carry for their daily needs. But he had them. And Jesus sees this young, marginalized boy, because children in that culture would have been marginalized, and that's who he chooses for this miracle. And this boy ends up being a critical actor in this story. Maybe that's the message for us. Maybe it's the reminder that it's Jesus that will break open human potential. Oops, I'm sorry. Hang on, guys. This thing must be a little big on me today. Is my friend Jeff in here? Okay, let's see. Okay, I think I got it. Sound okay? But if Jesus is the one that can open up human potential, then I guess it's up to us to lean in and to listen and maybe like that boy to say yes. Because this story of seeing that there is enough among the people already, it calls us to see the abundance that already exists. It asks us, it invites us to ask ourselves the question, what is it that I have? What is it that we have that God can use to bring his kingdom to earth? Because that's what this is about. This new humanity that Jesus promised. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you are or the gifts that you have or what you do, God will use you. We know that to be true. We've seen enough of those stories. There's a young girl in Sweden, and a lot of you know this story, and her name is Greta Thunberg. And when Greta was 15 years old, about a year ago last August, she, a schoolgirl, climate change warrior, she skipped school. And she sat down outside of the Swedish parliament, and she alone protested climate change. And inadvertently, she kicked off a global movement. Now, initially, her parents tried to dissuade her not to do this. No classmates would join her initially. And a lot of the passerbyers would either look at her sort of in an amused way or they'd pity her as she sat there by herself with her hand-painted sign. There's a cool story about Greta, though. Exceptionally bright. Diagnosed a few years ago, actually, with Asperger's. She had learned when she was eight years old about climate change, and she couldn't let go of it. She couldn't get it out of her mind. She couldn't believe that the adults weren't taking this seriously. When she decided 
that she would do something about it. She was described as someone who was painfully introverted and slightly, a slightly built nobody. Nothing was really happening in my life, she said. I've always been that girl in the back who doesn't say anything. I thought I couldn't make a difference because I was too small. Let's take a look. For way too long, the politicians and the people in power have gotten away with not doing anything to fight the climate crisis. But we will make sure that they will not get away with it any longer. And we are striking because we have done our homework and they have not. Some say that we are fighting for our future. But we are not fighting for our future. We are fighting for everyone's future. And we will not stop until we are done. Thank you. every inch of our being on climate change because if we fail to do so then all our achievements and progress have been for nothing and if you still say that we are wasting valuable lesson time then let me rem remind you that our political leaders have wasted decades through denial and inaction if I were in charge I would uh, I would tell the truth the emergency of the situation and what we need to do and what we what we need to do to try to save what can be saved because most people I talk to they don't have even the basic knowledge about the climate crisis they don't know what the keeling curve is they don't know what the albedo effect is and that is absurd that people don't know those things Pretty amazing story. What one girl, moved by passion, can do to stir people and make change. I think it's pretty encouraging. This young girl in Sweden and a young boy 2,000 years ago with his two fish and five loaves of bread. Doug Paget, in his book, outdoing Jesus, when he talks about feeding the 5,000, this is what he says. This is a story about seeing the abundance that exists. It's testing whether we will see the world through a lens of scarcity or one of abundance. It's a story that wants to extend the story of a daily provision and to ask people to be the instigators of share of a sharing and abundance way of life. I think that's our call. And what I do love about this story is that in a lot of ways, this is a miraculous sign in the story about providing food for those in need. But significantly, in this story, it's people that God uses as the provider of the food. And that's the message for us today.
We are called to partner with God and what he's doing in the world. You know, in verse 14 of the passage we read today, it says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come to the world. Well, I liked the verse in the translation from the message. The people realized that God was at work among them in what Jesus had just done. They said, this is the prophet for sure. God's prophet right here in Galilee. God is at work among us and God's at work in us and through us and he calls us to be part of what's going on. Like the boy, like Greta. And so maybe the question for you is what is weighing on your heart? Where is it that God might be calling you in small or big ways to step in to make a difference? I see it happening all the time in this community. I was thinking about Kristen and mentoring one of the Young Lives mom and her babies and that time commitment and pouring love and, then, and how that changes things. I was thinking about Terry and her work with refugees and her passion and her heart. I was thinking about Molly and what she did at Whitmore with, or Whitworth in creating a program for underprivileged kids that they might have an easier way to get into college. I was thinking of Nicole, who's up in our kids' room right now, who is spending her young career and young life working with kids with autism because she's so passionate about it. I thought of those stories that I shared with you about all the young life people and how they just kept passing it on. And I talked about Jim Wallace and I was amazed at the courage that he has to step out and actually call out the things that are antithetical to Jesus and how he has just been crushed by doing that, but he keeps holding up Jesus and he keeps holding up Jesus. And I think about Peggy Flanagan and how she shared on Wednesday night the strength and the courage that it took her when she was a House of Representatives representing St. Louis Park and she got up on the House floor and she actually looked at her colleagues and said, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it if we call ourselves or you call yourselves people of faith and we're forgetting Matthew 25 that whatever we do, for the least of these we do for you. Help me understand. Everyday people who are fulfilling Christ's audacious call to exceed his work on earth. And that's for us too, that we should all take the courage to embody the capacity that God has put in each and every one of us so that we too can be miracle workers. One of the things Jim Wallace said, a small, short, simple sentence that stuck with me, and it reminds me of the passage we were in. He said, what seems impossible, it is possible. And all we need to do is reclaim Jesus. Please pray with me. Holy God, we come together and... Uh, 
We're so grateful that we can have this place and space, God, to connect with you and to worship and to be reminded that we are your beloved children. And God, part of belonging to you and being your beloved is also a call to love others and to be for one another, to be for the marginalized and the people on the fringe. And God, we need your spirit to do that. So we thank you, Lord, for who you are and how you call us to love you and how, and how you call us to love one another. So we thank you for your spirit that continues to move. We're grateful for this community. And we lift all this up to you. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. Oh, it's working? All right, cool. Um, yeah, I thought that was uh, amazing words there. Um, Debbie, you let off. It was, um, you talked about this was like a message for you, and I think it was, definitely was a message for me in uh, this time of just kind of hopefulness or kind of confusion and to remind it of how, you know, God is working in here and he is among this instead of we're so focused on the problem that there is a solution and, and, and you know, Jesus is the solution. So I thought that was beautiful. Um, so yeah, here at the table every uh, Sunday night, um, we take uh, communion together uh, to remember what Jesus did for us. Um, and on the night uh, before he died, um, he took the bread and he broke it for us, and he said, this is, my, this is my body uh, broken for you. And then Jesus took the cup, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, and do this in remembrance of me. So we will have um, the, uh, the elements uh, are going to be on the side here. We're going to have uh, the gluten full on the outside, and then gluten free right here. Okay, perfect. Um, and so like during the, uh, the songs, you know, come up as you, as you feel uh, led, and you can take the elements, take the bread, and dip it into uh, the cup, um, and then uh, throw up the songs, and we can do that. Um, but prior to that, we will uh, all stand and uh, do the Lord's Prayer. So, our God, who art in heaven, Thank 